Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, it is time to get going here. We got college basketball coming up Thursday night. Well, actually, we got college basketball coming up tonight. Utah State at home on TV against UNLV. They owe these guys. They lost to the Rebels down in Vegas. It was one of the road losses that has really marred their NCAA tournament resume because right now it doesn't look like they have one. They got some work to do. Got some heavy lifting to do going forward here. Got the Rebels at home tonight. And tomorrow night, Utah hosts Stanford. And Cal, excuse me, Cal will be here on the weekend. Uh, BYU has got Portland on KJS 14 if you want to watch that. You're welcome picking up that stadium broadcast. Uh, We'll get to BYU in a second, but let's start with the Utes. The Utes playing Stanford, and Stanford's putting together a pretty nice season here. They're in the thick of a wide-open Pac-12 title race, and they've got a shot at the NCAA tournament. They need road wins. Road wins are good. Even if they're against teams like the Utes that, uh, you know, aren't quadrant one games and all that stuff. Man, tournament lingo, you got to love it. Quadrant one games. Uh, Still, you got to get them. So, interesting game tonight. Larry Kristoviak meeting with the media. Here is the Utah coach getting ready for Stanford at home. Are we ready to rock? Uh, general takeaways from the weekend, now that you've presumably had some time to watch film and, and soak it all in. Yeah, no, I, you know, I thought um, overall we played a pretty darn good ball game at USC. You know, uh, collectively we were real good, I thought, offensively and defensively and just, um, you know, critical mistakes at the wrong time big plays on their part um but it's a game that you know i think it's what you want to do when you're on the road is put yourself in a position to win a game and hopefully we can grow from that and then even as bad maybe as we were at times at ucla uh 12 minutes to go down four uh and they hit a big three because we you know we miss up uh pick and roll coverage so what what i'm finding you know, the, I was asked the question. You know, what's what's our problem on the road? Well, it's not it's not a collective issue of theme. It's playing quality competition and having to win that game, and not doing checking enough of the boxes in each specific game to qualify to win it. And it, it is what it is. It, you know, not it's not great to hear from. It, it is what it is. If you don't make enough shots at UCLA. Uh, if you have enough one-on-one breakdown defensively against uh, UCLA, you don't put yourself in a great position. And there's been stretches in each of these games the last weekend that I thought we were really good. I thought Timmy really grew, T.A. really grew at UCLA, probably could have had multiple, would have had multiple double-digit assists in that game had eight we missed four wide open shots probably could have passed a couple later that would have given him that opportunity so i thought we played the game the right way from an offensive point of view we weren't strong enough we had some issues catching the ball you know 15 turnovers and i would say six or seven of them were not coming to meet passes being a good receiver super bowl lingo to not a quarterback that doesn't you know, want a receiver that just keeps running away from it and let a guy get in front of him. We had four of those going down the stretch at UCLA. So we just got a lot of things to fix, and we're growing, and we're looking at film. Um, but having said that, 
and you heard me say it a while back, I think after some wins, you're never as good as you think you are, and you're never as bad as you think you are. And I, I, I love the concept of chopping wood and getting in the gym, and we've got to play a little bit harder from time to time. We've got to play a little bit more together from time to time, and we can't have senseless turnovers from time to time. And if you piece that together, you know, which of those couple three-pointers do you want going down the stretch against UCLA or USC? And it's a different, it's a different category, and that's we have to go and earn a win. <clears throat> uh, Coach, sometimes with a young team, you know, they don't have maybe some success. Maybe the season can kind of get away from them. What do you think is that? What's your attitude to the team right now? What do you think their attitude is at this point of the season? Well, I, it, you know, uh, this isn't a big touchy-feely point of year. It's going to be a high uh, energy, very enthusiastic practice here coming up in a couple hours. We'll set the tone for that. I think that's my responsibility, our coaching staff's responsibility. It's going to be a lot of the the same things of the theme that I just did in that long answer that I just had, you know. Uh, there is a reason that we put those phrases up in our facility. And w there's thousands of words of coverages and plays and reads and skill sets and everything at the end of the day. Play hard, play smart, and play together. And we've just got to check more of those boxes. But really, it's a couple of possessions here at USC. It's a couple of possessions at UCLA that I think the tide stems a little bit. Uh, we can make excuses all we want with Booth's injury and being one man down, but we didn't have an overly deep team. So you kind of come into those phases at the end of both of those games. There's a, you know, a coincidence that you know, maybe we run out of steam a little bit going down the stretch. I'd love to have some more help that way, and our guys need to step up and make some plays. So it's uh, it's we're just going to grind. We've got halfway through league play, and then we've got the conference tournament. We're going to have a lot of fun trying to get better and try to break things down and and educate our guys, and then try to piece it together for you know the Bay Area home schools this weekend. This is off topic, but um, oh, uh -oh. I'm not going to. You know. Okay. It's fine. Um, Ohio State had a men's player last week uh, announce that he was taking in um, a leave of absence to deal with some mental health issues. Mm. Um, as a as a coach, as a leader of young people, how has your job changed in the last few years as mental health concerns have kind of come more to the forefront? Well, you know, first off, I, I think we're very cognizant of uh, this not being all about basketball. You know, it's it's we try to help everybody grow up and and I've shared stories of uh, my own struggles with different things. Our players, we've had uh, numerous team get togethers where we open and we share things. We've you know, from years ago, we never had anybody in place like Jonathan Ravarino and his staff to help us sort this out. I'm not you know, I'm not a doctor in that regard, but I'm a human being that's gone through some stuff. So we try to help our players whatever the issues that come up we certainly let it be known that if they're trying to lose weight gain weight clean something up deal with some mental health issues get a tutor look at film everything here is here you know and i, I think we all feel really fortunate at this program that whatever is the little issue that you might have big or small not just little there's somebody here to help you and I think that's the biggest thing specifically with males you know it's like the old adage when you're lost in a car I could drive around my wife gives me a hard time you drive around for half an hour trying to work your way out of it when I think the the other brain is wired a little bit differently to be okay give me some help and 
that's what I've encouraged our guys to do. Whatever it is that's causing them some problems, let's go lean on these experts that, uh, you know, a great team, sports scientists, you know, guys that we have rock in the strength and conditioning. So that's just part of the picture. And I think it's become a lot more apparent that the brain is a complicated thing. And uh, sometimes I think uh, it, it was never given the proper uh, focus or understanding that there are issues and now it's it's great it's a, it's hard to tie it all in it's hard to be in college it's hard to be a college freshman uh, there's loss people handle things differently so uh, that's the thing I think is just to communicate and be open about it and, and really really trust the staff that we have in place and and hope that if guys have issues that they'll raise their hand and say hey I need a little help over here when you see professional athletes uh, guys like Kevin Love have, have come out and yeah, DeRozan. Express concerns, right, yep. DeMar DeRozan. When when young people see professional athletes come out and, and make this an issue, can that make you know the college kids more comfortable talking about it? I think without a doubt. Yeah. I, I think I think you hit it right on the head. That's a really good point. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of role modeling. Um, it wasn't long after Steph Curry decided to shoot free throws with his mouthpiece hanging out of his mouth and biting on it that we had about half the kids in America that were doing the same thing. Right. So it's it's role modeling. It's doing things that uh, that you see the the the, the heroes and the, and the idols that these young people have. And uh, I, I, I think it's great. Even that for me in my position, knowing that those players have opened up and and asked for help and been very transparent has made it easier for me to talk to guys like, you know, uh, and share stories about what we're going through. So I think that's uh, that's a big key, and uh, we're learning more and more about it. Putting resources in place that can help kids, and and uh, you know, it's it as as they always say, this this life deal doesn't come with an owner's manual. It doesn't always just go as planned, and uh, sometimes we need to lean lean for a little bit of help on on some of that side for sure. Yeah, uh, Brandon Carlson, he started off pretty strong. At the start of the season, had some good games, and he had a real lull there in the middle. In the last three games, he's really come on strong. What's been the difference in his game, do you think? Well, I think I think he's uh, on somewhat not, I wouldn't say normal, but kind of a projected learning curve for a, for a, uh, a freshman. That's not unusual to maybe come in with your guns a-blazing. Some of the competition in the preseason is not always – Pac-12 level, so you've got an opportunity to gain some confidence. I think, uh, you know, there, there were a few kids on our team, some freshmen, and we kind of joked about it at Christmas time that, that kind of hit the wall. You know, it was hard. It's hard uh, getting through all of the facets of it, the academics and the, and the rigors of it. Brandon was a return uh, missionary, so if you think about his timeline over the last four or five years, really had one year of senior basketball at Bingham. Uh, he played behind Yoli Child for a couple of years, so there you you know one year where he really grew and and started to gain some confidence playing the game, and then went on a mission for two years. So this was it's not easy, you know. You come back from that. I think he's found his legs, and I think he's more comfortable with what it is we're trying to do, and you know freeing up his mind a little bit. And uh, I think that's been very helpful. We still have a lot of areas that we need to improve on, but he's he's making good strides. I think. One more thing about him. You signed him actually before his senior year, right? He, didn't, he hadn't done much high school-wise. Well, no, we didn't sign him. Couldn't I mean, sign him. Okay, you, he committed him, right? I mean, he, 
he was committed before he, he was his senior year of high school. Is that correct? Uh, I'll have to do the math on that one, Mike. I'm not sure that's... I believe that's the case. But anyway, have you ever had a guy, like many kids like that who haven't maybe had that experience? I mean, um, you know, haven't had several years of, of good play, and yet, you, you know, you've got them committed to your program. Oh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure about the question. Well, the fact that you said he only played, you know, basically one year of yeah. high school ball. And, you know, most of these kids are playing for like five or ten years. They're stars of their team. And he was like, you must have seen some potential. Oh, yeah, yeah, him. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, number one, I think he's got really good hands. He can run like a deer, uh, seven feet tall. Uh, so it's it's not like you need a sample size of five years or ten years before you're willing to sign a kid. I thought he was one of the best players in Utah. Uh, we loved he and his family. We spent time with them on the visits and thought he was a great program guy. And I think the, the sky's the limit for him. If he wants to punch in and put the time in, um, you know, with, with – uh, the basketball side of things and getting stronger and give a, a true commitment. I think, you know, this is just the beginning for what could be a heck of a career. So I, th I think every, to answer your question, you know, sometimes, sometimes you recruit a kid for five years and he's got a great track record. Other kids, it's more of something that you see developing, but I thought he played really well, uh, for his AAU program, uh, you know, in that summer and, it's it's really hard to coach seven feet, and and I think it kind of reminded us a little bit of Jakob and his ability to catch passes, uh, and uh, to really run, get out and run, and certainly an athletic kid. So we were we were stoked, and we we really didn't have any doubts. Um, but it it hasn't been a normal run. But when you throw in maybe his high school and his and and the mission, you know, it's maybe a little bit slower developing. Can you just speak to the parity in uh, the Pac-12 right now? It seems seems like maybe teams three or four all the way through 11 or 12, there doesn't seem to be that much separating those teams right now. Yeah, no, and st you know we're at, we're at about the halfway point. Uh, I haven't looked at the schedule, you know, for sure to see who maybe has an excess home or road games, but. Um, Man, I, I know I'm looking at a couple of the team number. You know, we're one of the teams near the bottom in the bottom third, and we've been really good at times and not so good. I look at Cal. He's uh, got some big wins lately and ultra competitive with the new coach, Washington State new coach. I think there's something to be said about some of those teams uh, that are in the bottom that are maybe a little bit like us, younger, newness. Uh, that are starting to find our stride and and there's there's a lot of talent in the league you know and on any given night certainly when you get at home I think uh, teams have an opportunity to win some games so um, I, I agree with you I don't know how it's all going to shake out but I think it's uh, I know what we need to focus on for our team is is I trust our guys are going to make shots when they get an opportunity. We got to fix some things defensively. We've got to be a lot better. We're last in the league in points scored uh, against us, and there's some things that fighting to get us in a position for the Pac-12 tournament and start playing better. I'm more focused on on our squad, but I think it's evident that you, you better not have your your guard down on any given night because there's some teams in this league that can step up and get some Ws. <laughs> Just a quick word about Stanford. I mean, they were picked actually behind you in the league, and they've been one of the surprise teams, been around the top of the league all year. Just what do you expect from them? 
Well, you know, I think uh, I, I think they're getting great performance out of uh, Terry and De Silva, the two leading scorers. Um, you know, I think they've got a lot of the. If you look at statistics again, what I just touched on with our deficiencies defensively, you know, they're one of the top teams in our conference. Um, they do a good job playing with a lot of energy. Uh, rotations are great. They double team the post. They put pressure on pick and roll. Uh, they really try to speed you up. They fly you off the three-point line. So some of their success, I think, is what we preach about all the time, is that as defense is going to win some championships and point totals and percentages, they're amongst the top. I mean, they're holding teams in the 50s in Pac-12 play. So I think if you start there, that would be an indication of where they've hung their hat, and then they're getting good contributions. They've got three-point shooting. they got uh, – you know, really good. Davis is a is a veteran guard on their team. Terry's a freshman that gives them a great spark. De Silva, uh, their three and four men shoot the ball, and they're a physical team. So they uh, they are a surprise. There's always one or two in the conference. You know, if you look back on it, and uh, I, you know, I think that they've done a nice job. Their coaching staff putting guys in positions to to be successful and. And uh, I really respectful. I, I really respect what they do on both sides of the ball. They present a lot of problems. There's Larry Kristoviak, Utah basketball coach. When we come back, BYU. Can the Cougars keep it rolling now that they've beaten St. Mary's? We'll hear from their head coach next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The BYU Cougars. This is a weird week. You know, I thought the West Coast Conference, they had good travel partners and everything was nice and organized. And Then Gonzaga pulled rank and said, hey, we don't want to play all these conference games. So now BYU's got a week where they're at Portland and home to San Francisco. I struggle with that stuff. I wish they made it easy for me. A game with Portland's on... Uh, on KJS 14 Thursday night, so you can watch that game. Uh, so the thing for the Cougars now, Bracketology has them as a seven seed. You know, I really trust Joe Lenardi on who's in and who's out. I don't trust the seeding that much. When I see someone's as a seven, I think, oh, that could be a five, that could be a ten. <laughs> There's a little wiggle room there. But the point is, BYU's got the tournament resume now. They're in good shape. They just have to win the games they're supposed to win. And at Portland, they're supposed to win. All right, here's their head coach. Mark Pope meeting with the media on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Winners board out there. You have one in both places. What sort of things do you track on that? So we do um, we do a winners board for all of our drills, and it's um, sometimes they, you know you're just looking for any slice you can to kind of uh, maintain the competitiveness in the gym. And um, so it's really ridiculous. Our guys get, stay really competitive about it. They're you know. Uh, you know, our guys will be in a drill that has nothing to do with the defensive side of the ball, but they uh, mistakenly tip a ball and they're screaming at our managers, that's a deflection, count me up for a deflection. And so it's, it's just a, one of a million ways to try and keep guys 
engaged and focused. What's your practice philosophy, and, and, and let's move beyond the get better every day, because I know that already, but what's a little deeper? <laughs> Uh, if you ask me philosophically, I would say get better every day is the deepest. I mean, genuinely, I would because I think that's the thing. If you can, st- if you can live there in the monotony of trying to get better every day, then I think, I think that I think that makes all the difference. Uh, in terms of practice philosophy, we have some things that we address every single day that are our most important things, and then uh, practice otherwise is pretty standard. Um, we're, uh, you know, this this group, one of the things that's fun about this group is that it's a really, really veteran group, so we can tweak things on the fly all the time, and the guys pretty much keep up. Like That's actually been really fun. Uh, you know, if, if uh, there's other teams where where if I was coaching other teams the way I'm coaching this team, um, we might look completely lost out on the floor. Because a lot of times it's just like do the same thing over and over and over again and get good at it or keep the playlist really, really tight so that guys have enough reps on a given play where they've run it a thousand times and so they can, you know, they just know exactly what they're looking for. But with this group, uh, they're just it's veteran guys, and so we kind of throw new stuff at every single day, and they're pretty good, they're pretty good at picking it up. Just little nuances of actions too, and so it's fun. Is it based? I'm assuming it's based on what you went through as a player in college and pro, and your coaching experience and all that's kind of a combination, or is this strictly from a specific? experience and practice that you had? Uh, you mean just, just how we practice? How you practice. Uh, well, I think it's, I mean, I, I, I don't I don't know that there's, um, you know, I don't know that there's, if you're going to have wide variation in practices going from place to place to place. Uh, you know, there are some things that we've picked up along the way. We do a, uh, you know, we, we, we've done a bucks drill since, uh, you know, just kind of start one phase of practice since, you know, halfway through my first season as a head coach, and it's something I'll keep forever because, because it gives me like it gives me some feedback about where we are in the day, right? Um, uh, you know, in terms of like a shell drill idea, like we'll have a shell drill session that every team in America does some type of shell drill every single day. Um, we, uh, you know. Um, so I, I don't. I, I'm not giving you very good stuff. I'm sorry. I mean, it's. I'm not that smart, you know. We just we do we do we do what we believe in, and we we, you know, we we come back to it. You know, I'll tell you. So I was talking to Tony Bennett, and um, I was talking to Tony Bennett and Richie McKay when Richie was assistant there. He's now crushed at Liberty. And um, we were sitting in, we were like two straight back-to-back games sitting next to each other just watching the game. So I started asking about Virginia and how they do what they do and how he's been so successful. And they were like, the thing that we fight more than anything else as coaches in, in Virginia is we fight our guys getting bored. Because we do the same thing every single day. And that's how you get good at it. And it's not sexy and it's not interesting. You know the guys that become great post players? The guys that practice the same quick and the same hook over their left shoulder so that it becomes something that is so routine and mundane that they can do it under the most pressure, disorienting, 
body pushing circumstances and so it's really not like this game is not about being some genius that recreates that, that tricks everybody else it's about you know George Carl told you know one of the things I take from George is I heard him say this 10 times it's like a coach's job is to say exactly the same thing a thousand different ways because you work to keep your team's interest, keep them inspired, keep them working. But, but greatness comes from doing the same thing over and over again until you do it great. Um, and, and like your guys' job is so hard because you have to write an article every day and you can't write the same thing every day, right? Um, you can say the same thing a thousand different ways. Ultimately, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, I think that's what you have to do, right? And, and, and honestly, like from my, and this is, we're getting philosophical here, I'm wasting your time, but from my perspective, sometimes when, I'm like, you know, when I see something, I'm like, well, why did they write that? I'm like, you know what? This guy has to write something every single day. And so, so sometimes, you know, it just is. And so in that sense, you understand the feel that we have. Like to become great, we have to approach it every day and do it over and over and over again. Jake Toulson shoots the ball the way he does because he practiced the same thing over and over and past the boredom and through the monotony and the whole deal. Kobe Lee is getting better because for you know, what are we on, seven months now or whatever, he has shot the same shots over and over and over and over every single day. And you know what happens? He gets in the game and all of a sudden becomes really sexy because because he's actually producing. And so I, I believe in that with, with all my heart. And it doesn't mean that, we, that you don't get really creative with little tweaks and tricks and whatever, but if tweaks and tricks are the bedrock of what you do, I don't think you're going to be very good because I don't think you can support the weight of it. Stone. Is there a balance that you kind of have to find there with sort of doing the same thing, getting better every day, and now like in the throes of conference play, implementing a scout, going through, especially in the WCC, so many different types of teams and that kind of thing? Or? You know, one of the fights that we always have is like the way we do it, the way that we should do it in a certain circumstance, and then can we make the leap and not lose anything? So it's, it's lot, lots of times it's easy to look at and scout will be like, well, this is this team's weakness. We should do that. The question is, can your team do it? And if they do that, what are the unintended consequences of them doing that that take them off away from how you've been successful before? And so making those guesses is what you do. I mean, it really is. It's what you do. It's what you do in conference play. Um, you know, so we were able to give St. Mary's some, some little kind of counters to what we've been doing that are still within the genre, but it's, but it's a little tweak here and a little different thing there that kind of help us. And we do that every single game. Today, we threw a bunch of stuff on the court that was like, it's the same stuff we run, but then this cut is just different. And it's just like, ah, oh, you know, we prepped for this, and then, and then they kind of threw this different deal. And sometimes it's just like, you know, if we're running a, if we're running a, you know, let's say we've been running weekends. We run weekends three or four times a game, right? Everybody knows weekends. It's like it's a, it's a, it's a it's a way to kind of counter downing a ball screen or blitzing a ball screen because it turns into handoff, and we work really hard to actually get a free run at it. So then we just for for one game we go slice weekends or we go weekends curl where it's actually the instead of the one coming off the weekends, it's the two coming off the weekends. Well, that's really frustrating as a coach because you've gone through the scout, you've prepared for the team, and you've prepared your point guard to ring the bell and answer that certain cut in the handoff and what comes after it. And now it's the freaking two that came off, right? And so it's it's the same genre for your team. Everybody else is basically doing the same thing, but just a little change like that can actually go a long way, right? But it's still staying in the same family.
He's good. He's, uh, you know, I don't know what he's going to be. I mean, he's limping around, but he threw the football with me before practice, and so his arm's great. I mean, he's freaking throwing a laser. You think he's a baseball pass? Like he's yeah, that, right? yeah, exactly. I know you don't like looking ahead past, like, the next game, yeah. but just San Francisco sort of seems to have you all's number, and just yeah. what are you guys going to have to do to make sure that you don't lose a fourth straight to them? I don't know yet. I don't know. I mean, um, I know what we got to do. We got to beat Portland. Like that's what that's what we have to do, and um, and so we f- will find some way to try and beat Portland on the road, and that's a bear. I mean, they beat San they, Portland beat San Francisco, and and they you know they and they had the, Z- the Zags in trouble, and they haven't won since, but they're clearly an incredibly dangerous team. And my biggest concern right now, if that if my guys think that a twenty point win that we had here against Portland is going to replay itself there, they've lost their minds. It's not how this works, and so you know. Um, so I don't know. I haven't really. You know, I, I, we, we talked about uh, we talked about um, San Francisco a little bit Sunday night, and then and then a little bit Monday. But right now, it's just I'm not smart enough to go there right now. Like we have to, we have to find a way to go compete and get better at this Portland game, and um, and hopefully come away with a win. If you call me on Friday, then I'll be like, ah, hopefully I'll have some idea by then, because then it's getting late. You're a big analytics guy. I mean, is there any particular stats that you've been pleased with at this point of the season in areas maybe that you want to see your team improve statistically? Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say this, but I'm super proud that we're the number one team in America in points per possession on Synergy. You know, we've been for six years now, two years at, at BYU and then four years at Utah Valley. Like, we've been crunching and selling and and agonizing over and trying to scheme around uh, just this general idea of points per possession. And we're now the number one team in American points per possession. It's not because we've had an easy schedule. It is because we have great players. We have guys that can really play. Um, but but it, it, that's a little gratifying for us just in the sense of we, we work so hard at it. Like, I mean, even our recruits, I mean, I can't tell you how many recruits we've had in there like go into a coma after 90 minutes of us trying to sell the analytical part of the game to them. And, um, and certainly our guys go through that too. But, uh, but you know, we, we've shown progress over the last six years. And for us to be where we are right now is pretty fun. I might, might have missed it because it came in late. But Connor Harding, I didn't see him yeah. out there. He Connor, was, was, he was uh, thrown up last night and, and this morning. So hopefully it's just a little food poisoning. You know what these college kids eat, man. It's all kind of crazy stuff. So. But nothing with the, the knee, though, is... No, 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 knee's good. I mean, the knee's getting better. So we're, we're st- he's still on a modified practice schedule. It really worked for us last week, actually. He was more mobile this past weekend than he's probably been in a month, and we need that from him. So I told him this week we'd keep him on the modified you know, modified practice schedule, and he took it a step further. What's the plan with Gavin right now? So Gav is in that four to six month window. Uh, he went and saw the doctor yesterday, and he cleared him. And um, so, you know, that's cleared for his shoulder. Uh, and then now it's the rest. It's his shoulder now, and the rest of his body. I mean, he hasn't. Nobody's pushed him, and he hasn't had to like stabilize a land on his ankles or anything like that. So. Um, you know his shoulder is, you know, and 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 like his shoulder is cleared in terms of being healthy, but strength-wise, we just gotta we gotta see what he can do and where he can get to the point where he actually is better, right? So put a red jersey on him today, and we'll probably keep that in as painful as it is to have red in our gym. 
I might forget like a yellow maybe. Um, and uh, and you know he ran up and down a little bit. We we didn't let him get tired. You know I don't want him on the floor right now when he gets tired. I told Rich that he's not really allowed to, really allowed to touch him, and Rich forgot a couple times a day. It scared me to death. So we'll see. Um, since deciding to forego the NBA draft and coming back, what has Yoli added to his skill set that would make him even more uh, like sought-after prospect? Well, I think the one thing and maybe the most important thing that he's added is that he's he's he has become a, a monster of a teammate. Like, he's become a, a, an incredible teammate. Probably wasn't his strength coming this year. And... Um, and he spent a lot of time just wanting to get done whatever it takes to win, and that is a, that's that's probably the most important thing he's going to take it with him into camp next year, right? Um, the second thing that's still a work in progress is is him playing as hard as he can. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's there's been a lot of distractions. There's a finger distraction, the, the suspension distraction, the you know the kind of ankle distraction that all make it harder to like be diving on the floor and and and, and playing as hard as you can. But um, he's got it squared in his mind. He's made great progress. Things like transition defense, he's made unbelievable progress. His ball screen defense, he's made unbelievable progress. But he's still got uh, you know he's still got significant strides to make um, for him to get to where he needs to be to kind of go in and, and, and earn a draft spot and go in and make a team and, and he's working hard at it and hopefully you know we can get to a real clean bill of health where he can he can double down on all those things you know he's become a better passer uh, you know his assist opportunities numbers when he's right are off the charts it's really amazing um, I think he's a better communicator right now in terms of on floor live communication I'm really proud of him there uh, I think he's had moments where his isolation defense has been spectacular and some moments where it's not but I think he's making strides there so there's a lot of areas where he's showing some growth he's, he's shooting the ball unbelievably well uh, with great confidence and, and belief and, and so that's been a huge plus for him and so I don't know, it's 56% from the three-point line right now. It's crazy. So There's Mark Pope, BYU basketball coach at Portland and then home to San Francisco this week. We're going to take a break. When we come back, PK and I are talking jazz basketball. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Time to welcome in Ben Anderson. You hear him on the Utah Jazz pre-half and post-game shows right here on The Zone. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung. Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Ben, good morning. Good morning. I assume wherever you go, people who know you and know what you do, Want to talk about the Jazz. What's wrong with the Jazz? They won 19 out of 21. Now they lost four in a row. What is wrong? Ben, what's wrong with the Jazz? They won 19 out of 21. Now they lost four in a row. Right now, it's teams seem to have figured out that if you attack them off the dribble without setting a screen uh, or you go small, you can really kind of take Rudy Gobert out of the game because if you attack 
either Royce O'Neal or Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley, whoever it is at this point, Joe Ingles, uh, and get into the paint without your big coming and setting a screen, then Rudy Gobert has to come over and help. If he has to come over and help, well, he leaves his man unguarded, and the Jazz communication right now defensively has just not been very good. So teams are scoring a lot of points, and that's why the Jazz defensive rating over the last four games has been third worst in the NBA. They're just they're hemorrhaging points when they're out there, and, and honestly, the, the offense hasn't been that good either. The offense has dropped down to about 20th over the last four games as far as offensive rating goes. So it, it is on both sides of the floor, but, but the majority of it is on the defensive side of the ball, and, and a lot of it does just have to do with containing the ball at the point of attack, and that's something that uh, I'm sure Quinn Snyder's been focusing on over the last few days. Well, and then is that easily correctable? Uh, I, it, it's hard because that's a personnel thing. Uh, it, it's that the Jazz don't have an elite wing defender. I know a lot of people like Royce O'Neal and do like Royce O'Neal, and deservedly so, but he's more versatile than he is a lockdown defender. He's great because one night he'll guard Kyrie, and then the next night he'll guard Giannis. And that's awesome to watch a guy do that, but he doesn't lock anyone down. He doesn't shut anyone down, really. So that's maybe the issue is the Jazz don't have that type of player. Uh, not that that player really exists a ton in the NBA anymore. We don't have a lot of Gary Paytons in the world. Uh, or Michael Jordan in their prime that they go out and stop somebody defensively on the wing like that. So uh, it has to be fixable. And yes, the Jazz will find out ways to fix it. And some of it is, you know, wh- where are you picking up Damian Lillard? I-, I get that he's a threat to shoot the ball from 40 feet, but would you rather him shoot the ball for 40 feet? Or would you rather him get to the paint and get a layup? You'd probably give up the 40 footer. Uh, Eric Gordon, the Jazz were a little bit uh, sloppy as Quinn Snyder had said. He just said they were, they were picking him up in the wrong spot. So some of it is just, playing the numbers and gambling a little bit on, on how much room you're willing to give up and how much space you're willing to give up to fix that. And I, I have no doubt that the Jazz can fix it because we've seen long stretches where they've been great defensively, whether it was the first 10 games of the regular season or uh, a stretch in, in early December when the team started to climb back up and get their defense back to being top 10. I'm sure they can fix it. They might not be elite ever perimeter, uh, elite defensively on the perimeter this year, but they should be able to solve some of these issues. Well, you know, they think the thinking was when they traded favors, hey, you're not going to be elite defensively, but you'll still be pretty good. And you'll be really good offensively, so it'll be okay. So, I, and I get your point about guys are getting taken off the dribble because, well, guys are getting taken off the dribble. But that's like one of the first things to work on. You don't really need to bring a screen over unless your guy can't take somebody off the dribble. So it doesn't seem like this would be totally new for NBA coaches to do this. It seems there's like there's a little bit of you just got to stay in front of your man. If you can't stay yeah. in front of your man in basketball, you're going to get beat anyway. Guys, you got to really lock in and stay in front of your guy. Yeah, guard your guy. I mean that that was a you know I'm, I'm editing that down a little bit, but that was a Jerry Sloanism. <laughs> stay in front of your own man. Help defense. The best defense is not needing help defense. If you don't need anyone to come help you and you can do it by yourself, that that's ideal. And you know. Luka Doncic is six foot eight and 215 pounds and runs really fast and is good with the ball in his hands. He's hard to stay in front of him. Right now, Damian Lillard's the best player in the world over the last six games, just what he's doing. We have almost never seen before in NBA history, and so he's going to torch you. And then Eric Gordon occasionally is going to have a career night, and he's going to do it against the Jazz, or he's going to do it against the Raptors. It's just you are going to be on the wrong end of some of those games. So some of this could be some small sample size. Also, the Jazz were playing so well for 21 games. Maybe they're a little tired, or maybe they took their foot off the gas pedal because they realized they were just blitzing teams and running away with games, and they just let the defense get away from them a little bit because that's an effort thing. And they they were winning 
what felt like relatively easily. I think if you were watching, they were just blowing teams out for stretches of games, and, and then it was over. And teams are going to adjust to that. Teams are going to catch up to you. I think that's where the Jazz are right now. So you don't want to overreact to anything that goes on in January and February, but with that in mind, how important are these next five games for the team's psyche going into the All-Star break? I think psyche is a good word for this team because if I was going to say what else is wrong with this team is they seem to go with whichever momentum is at their back. And if it's positive or negative, they're going to trend in that in that direction. So in early December, late November, when they lose you know four out of five on that road trip and are getting blown out by 20 and 40 in Toronto, they, they didn't seem to have an ability to really stop that. Now, I understand those were really good teams and the Jazz were struggling against good teams. But then once things start going right a little bit and they get that momentum, they really start to play well. And then that carries them to winning 19 games out of 21. And that might be them being young, even though I know they've got some veterans on their roster right now with Mike Conley and, and Boyan and Joe Ingles has been around a little bit. But I do think that they still kind of trend in the direction of what their last couple of games have done. And, and that's why when you do give up a loss to Houston like you did and then lose to San Antonio, it's hard for them to slow it down. So having these three days off is huge. You've got to beat Denver. You have to hope you can snap what Portland's doing because Damian Lillard's been so good. And then you get, what, Houston and Dallas and Miami still. So you've got a really brutal stretch. You, I think you want to go three and two. If you can go four and one, you're in great shape. Obviously, five and zero oh would be incredible. That's probably not going to happen. But if you can win the majority of these games, I think you feel good going into the All Star break. I think the one thing that is clear that teams have uh, have discovered and have worked on is that when Rudy Gobert is out of the game, you have to go on a run and you have to attack the hoop and you have to get layups because Rudy's not there to take him away. And Quinn's now he tried one backup center, he tried the other one. He's gone back to Davis here but they give up a 12-0 run when he's on the floor. And so I'm assuming the front office is looking around, seeing can we find a guy, can we bring somebody in, can help us. But in the meantime, since Quinn's tried both guys, what do you think about just going small and putting another offensive-minded player on the floor? And you might still give up the 12 points, but at least you could score two or four, three or six, I guess, the way these guys shoot. Could you play Boyan with Joe Ingles, with Royce O'Neal, and try to put a, a, one, a, a small offensive lineup out on the floor. Yeah, and the Jazz should have some options to do it. In fact, I mean, I think that's what Jeff Green was here for, uh, was with that idea that the Jazz could play five out and have a smaller center that wouldn't absolutely get you killed down low. Now, I don't know if Boyan can honestly play center and, and the Jazz just not give up, you know, buckets of points. They just they just might not be able to do that. But, you know, between George Niang or even a guy like Juwan Morgan, who they've signed and is on the roster full-time, he could maybe step in and get some of those minutes. I, I think they've liked what they've gotten from Tony Bradley, and I actually think his ability to be a little bit of an offensive threat as a roller has really helped the team, and that's the major difference between he and Ed Davis, is that he can catch the ball on the roll, and, and teams have to guard him, and as a result, the Jazz have success. But, yeah, the, the five-out D4 offense m- might be the Jazz' best solution or something they can look at, whether that's something they try and address at the trade deadline coming up here on Thursday or, or just by going with the players they have because, yeah, if you're getting killed every time Rudy Gobert's off the floor and you're minus 12, uh, even if you're plus 13 with him on or plus 10 with him on, minus 12 with him off, that's a bad equation. So maybe the best thing you can do is say, hey, can we cut that minus 12 to minus 6? Because if mm-hmm. that's enough, you guys can still win more games than they lose. And they do win more games than they lose. I, I want to make sure we're not hitting the panic button if you're a Jazz fan. But th- I'm sure that's going to be the main focus. It's of looking either to improve the team 
uh, by the trade deadline or in the buyout market after the after the trade deadline passes. So you think they're going to live and die with Conley as a starter from here on out? I think you probably give him 15 games. I mean, I think he's certainly earned it in his career, and, and I think it's somebody you roll with, and you can see how potent he can be. He was, he was certainly dangerous in uh, Portland, and you know, even as good as Dame was, was, was kind of going toe-to-toe with him through the first half, and then somebody needs to step up in the second half. I mean, Mike Conley can't be that guy. He's not going to score 40 points. It's not who he is. It's really not who he's ever been. Uh, but when he gives you a 20-point first half, Boyan needs to give you a 20-point second half, or Donovan Mitchell needs to do that. And the Jazz really didn't get that as much. They didn't have somebody else pick you up or pick the team up. But they're designed that way. They're designed to have five guys who can go off for 20 every night, and they need two or three of them to do it. And, you know, for the most part, Donovan Mitchell has done it, and Boyan Bogdanovich has done it. If three guys do it, the Jazz need to win those games. And I didn't think they really had anyone who did it in the second half of the team. They just didn't have a way to stop what was going on. And, again, Portland played great, and, and Damian Lillard's fantastic. But you saw how good Mike Conley can be in that first half. I just don't think we can expect him to be a superstar or an all-star, despite the fact that he makes $30 million. Ben Anderson joining us here on Jazz pre-half and post-game. So I think the one thing about Conley going back in the lineup that's got to be figured out is with Royce sitting down, he was a guy who was only taking a couple of shots. And he was really deferring to the other four guys who all offered different stuff offensively and all need shots. Now, Joe's that guy, and I don't think anybody thinks it's a good idea for a shooter as good as Joe to take so few shots. Plus, it sometimes, not always, but it sometimes takes the ball out of his hands, and he's also a very good passer. So even though these five guys are good, and individually you might say they're the five best, do the pieces fit together? Because I'm leaning towards no, they don't. And it's a small sample size, so I'm open to being wrong here. But right now I'm leaning towards... They don't really fit. Maybe they will, but they haven't. Well, Mike Conley's not really a floor-spacing guard who just you know sits in the corner and catches mm-hmm. the ball and shoots a three as a spot-up shooter. It's just not ever who he's been. He's, he's pretty ball-dominant. He's a high-usage rate, and he's kind of a rhythm player. Even Quinn Snyder talks about how you know the, his substitution pattern, he plays twice in the first half. He plays the first, what, eight or nine minutes of the quarter and then subs in with the last six or seven minutes of the uh, of the first half and gets up to 15 minutes each half, and that's how he gets 30 minutes a game. He needs to be in longer, uh, and I think that means he needs to have the ball in his hands longer. Joe Ingles also isn't just a spot-up shooter. Now he can do it. He's one of the best in the NBA. But Joe Ingles gets shots when he's running the pick-and-roll with Rudy, and teams have to choose, okay, are we going to go under on this screen because we feel like we're going to get killed, and if you do that, Joe's going to hit a three, and if you go over, then Joe's just going to, you know, cat and mouse you and, and get either a layup or get a lob to Rudy at the, at the rim, so, which is what makes Joe Ingles so good. He just doesn't get the, that many opportunities now with Mike Conley in the rotation uh, and playing as much as he does because Mike Conley needs the ball. So th- that is part of the issue, and, and th- there's a hard part where you still would rather Donovan Mitchell and Boyan Bogdanovich get shots than either of those guys. So you know, those guys need to be getting 15 to 20 shots a game, and, and then you have to have one more player in the starting lineup get a couple, and Rudy Gobert's got to get 10 because he's so good to, or, or at the rim, and, and you're going to find opportunities through for him throughout the game because he's such a good dunker and because he makes himself available and knows how to get open. It, you just It does become a numbers game of, of how many shots he can take, and, and I'm sure Quinn will continue to toy with how to get one of those guys the ball more with Rudy Gobert either in the starting lineup or in the second unit as, as things shift around. I do think that's going to be one of the big question, uh, questions for the Jazz 
over these last 30 games. But if they do solve it and you can get the best of both of those guys, then the Jazz can really be better than they are currently. And that's, that's scary because the Jazz have been very good this season. So this is one of the more interesting seasons then. All those things you said lead me to think that, man, that's a headache to try to figure out all these things because you went down and you basically named off five or six guys and they got to do their thing, but not everybody can do their thing at the same time. It doesn't work that way. And here we are 50 games in and so much is unsettled, but yet at the same time they've been winning a whole bunch of games except for this last streak. It makes me wonder, man, can this thing all be put together because there's so many just bits and pieces that need to happen? If it does happen, I agree with you, they'll be really good. But do you think that they can get it all done the way it needs to be and everybody is allowed to flourish to the best of their abilities going forward? You're not going to have all five guys playing their best. I don't think you're going to see that. Now, one of the things that's hard to appreciate now, and it's it's something I'm sure the Jazz would say it's a good headache to have, is that they're going to be really versatile come the playoff time. Uh, come playoff time. So they're going to run into a team, and they're going to have a matchup, and they're going to say, well, maybe Boyan Bogdanovich can't give you 20 a game with this matchup because he's going up against Kawhi Leonard, and Kawhi Leonard's going to have to take him away. Well, okay, so Kawhi's stuck on Boyan. Well, now he can't guard Donovan Mitchell. Okay, maybe Paul George can guard Donovan Mitchell. Okay, great. Now who's going to guard Mike Conley? Okay, maybe it is... Patrick Beverly, well, they've taken away your top three guys. Well, now you have a guy in Joe Ingles who's going to run the pick and roll, and it's really hard to stop that. So you're really happy to have Joe Ingles in that specific matchup playing that well. It's never going to be all five guys playing perfectly. But when you get to the postseason and you start drawing up matchups and you start scratching off, okay, one for one, two for two, we're scratching off our top guys, the Jazz keep going. And it gets really hard to match them up with their fourth guy or their fifth guy. And then... Let's say you can match up all five. Well, now the Jazz have a guy who can score 37 points and 24 in the fourth quarter, and it's Jordan Clarkson. Okay, that gets really hard to slow down. So I do think that's part of the game for the Jazz. Is they never thought this was going to be the perfect machine, the way the Golden State Warriors operated, where it seemed like everyone could get theirs and was fantastic every night. I don't think that, a, that I don't think the Jazz are that talented. They're certainly not that good. I mean, there's four Hall of Famers on that team at one point. The Jazz don't have that. But I do think they like that idea that, when it comes to the playoffs, they're going to be able to go down the line, and even if you're matching the top three and eliminating one another, the Jazz fourth, fifth, and sixth guys are going to be better than what you have. Ben, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll hear on the pre-half and post-game show. All right, we'll see you guys. Thanks. There's Ben Anderson. You hear him on the pre-half and post-game shows. We're going to take a break. When we come back, all the headlines, what is trending, the night in the NBA. The Jazz are playing tonight. Jazz at home against the Denver Nuggets, and the Nuggets were in action last night. Tell you all about that next. Stay with us.